0: hello and welcome to the doxology podcast my name is jens nelson and with me as always is lucas stock boom uh so lucas how's it going uh it's going good
1: man it's going good how's it going over in uh the what is it the
0: the north midwest the mid-north uh yes southern wisconsin well uh we've had a lot of snow um it seems like every day this week it's had it some accumulation which has been annoying but it's also been like high 20s low 30s so it's really heavy snow which is not that fun to shovel (laughs) um but i did get brand new tires on my car finally which i've been putting it off for so long because it's so expensive um but literally so there have been three times where i could after work i couldn't get up my driveway like that's how bad my tires were (laughs) and we have a pretty steep incline Um, And it's also hard to get any sort of momentum up the driveway because it's of the way that this old driveway is at the very bottom. Like you'd literally tear up your car if you try to go quickly. Oh yeah. Um, And so like one day last week, I I came home from work and it was like a blizzard and I could not get up my driveway. And so I parked in the street and when I went out to my car the next morning, because I had to work at like 7 a.m., there was a ticket on my car for... Um, apparently during a snow emergency in my city, it it alternates the side of the street that you can park on, but the, but the thing is, is that like the other side of the street, it says no parking this side of the street. So it's like, where am I supposed to put my car? (laughs) Um, so I I finally was like, you know what? I need to go out and buy some new tires. So that's been my week. It was pretty exciting. That sounds like a blast,
1: (laughs) right? Uh, did you, uh, so we're recording on a Sunday. Did you go to church today? How was that?
0: i didn't today <laughs> no i feel really bad nah. No, um like the first time in a while hey but i did I you you yeah
1: i did actually uh, uh that's me, good <laughs> elaine and i uh were uh sort of introduced as members today in our, oh, in our church exciting. so that was pretty exciting um and definitely um a nice time. It's the way they do it at our church. It's super low key. Like he just calls up whoever there is to be introduced on any given Sunday at the end of the service and just kind of says a little blurb, like, you know, so-and-so lives in wherever and they come to us from this place or whatever, like something really general. And then the whole church uh, reads the apostles creed, which is, I, that's definitely my favorite part. <laughs> and right. uh, um, that's cool. So yeah, it was just really nice. And and then we had the the right after we had the church's annual meeting. So it's it's a congregational church, so uh everybody votes on everything. Um and so we got to like vote on the budget and then new people joining different committees and whatnot. It was I mean, it was pretty a little mundane, but I mean, it's important. And if that's the way your church right. is organized, it's, I, you know, it's important to be involved because you're part of the decision making. Right. Process. And, and, um, it's, yeah, it's a really, a really great community and, and we're definitely glad to be a part of it. So it was, a it was a good day. Yeah.
0: Sweet. Um, didn't mean well, to show
1: you up. We didn't, we didn't plan no. that.
0: <laughs> no. Yeah. And I, normally we do. And we were out really late last night and, um, we, li- we live about half an hour or more from our church. Um, oh, yeah. so That's like tough. today I was like, we should sleep in cause I was, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was even, we got up at like nine o'clock and I was exhausted. And uh, normally we leave at like nine 30 to get there by 10 30. Mm. Um, so yeah, I feel yeah. bad. Like I wanted to be there cause we, we, so we moving back here to Wisconsin, we, you know, we're looking for a new church and we really love the church that we found. And, um, we've been a part of a, like a newcomers class that mm-hmm. happens after each service. And that's been like, it, it's it been so cool. Cause like, so when I was at the church in the suburbs, you know, we had a, a newcomers, like, uh, like a becoming a member, we had an orientation class, um, which more just went into like the history of the church. And here's what the church is about, which is good and important. But like this, is, this has not been like that. This has almost been like weekly Bible studies. Um, um and like for the, the point of being like, um, this is a a core key doctrine or um, theological viewpoint that the church holds. And here's how it affects our our life, our ministry, our goals, our um, everything that we do. Um, So it's been really cool because, you know, like last week we talked about um, Nick at night, you know, Nicodemus coming to see Jesus (laughs) um, in the evening and sort of the importance of that passage. And a lot of times we think of that passage because it has John three sixteen, Um, But like what that actually means is far greater than most people think. And I'm sure one day we'll talk about that in an episode of the podcast, but That's a good idea. it's been really cool. So like we were, yeah, we were bummed to to miss this morning, but sometimes it happens. <laughs>
1: yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, we miss church a lot less frequently nowadays because Elaine's working in the youth, uh, right. the youth group and I, you know, once or twice yeah. a month, I'm playing in the band, so it's it's a it's a rare Sunday that we would even have the chance. So definitely right. no judgment. <laughs> we used to yeah. miss church well, a lot
0: more than than we do now, especially <laughs> in college, which is ironic. Yeah, <laughs> at Bible college, but anyway. So today we're gonna, uh, I guess, be jumping into a a pretty grand topic hmm. uh, i think one that many people misunderstand um so i guess one of our hopes in doing this this episode is that we'll grant some clarity like one of the one of the most frustrating things at least from in my perspective is when someone does um a, a podcast or a book or an article on a topic which should grant clarification or um you know making something more Easier to understand, but it actually makes me more confused. Like, I don't know. I feel like that happens to me a lot. So, like, my hope is that this does not do that to you, but that this conversation will um, inform and add clarity and understanding. And hopefully, again, because our podcast is called Doxology, like, our hope is that by gaining information we're not just gaining it for the sake of collecting more and more information but that it leads to a heartfelt devotion a praise a an adoration of the god that we worship so um, today we're going to be talking about the sacraments and even that word is maybe a word you haven't heard before or if you have heard the word sacrament maybe you associate it with uh, the catholic church or um, weird theology Um, i guess you know you could land anywhere on the spectrum so, Lucas, do you uh, do you want to give us your definition of what a sacrament is today?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, although I don't want to call it my definition, but um, I, right, I, right. I think this definition goes back to St. Augustine. I, I don't know if he was the first person to word it this way or if he was just the most significant to word it this way or whatever. Um, but I'm drawing specifically from the... Uh, new or new-ish, I don't know exactly when, it, I think it was, it, Crossway's publishing it in book form this year. I don't know when they finished it. I think it was earlier last year. But um, the Anglican Church in North America's Anglican Catechism to be a Christian, um, on page 55, question 121, is what is a sacrament? Uh, and the the answer they give is a sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. So I'm going to say that again, an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace, or maybe we could say just to make it more parallel, uh, outward and visible sign of an inward and invisible grace, invisible, meaning we can't see it, not meaning it's less real or less tangible
0: or less, less in any way. Um, so when you say grace, uh, do you want to add clarification to what that means? Um, is it, is, is it something that is, uh, imparting grace is it giving grace to you is it um yeah i guess how do you clarify that
1: yeah that's a really good question um i mean i i th- like i think of the phrase means of grace which is a little uh, you know depending on your tradition might be more commonly used or it might just be something that is equally mysterious to you depending on what, how your church tends to speak but um Means of grace it would be a little more broad of a, of a category than than sacraments, and, and as you know, we'll get into what makes something a sacrament in a little bit. But so um, the the grace you know that that is being given to you in a sacrament, ultimately, what's happening is God is giving you something; he's giving you some kind of grace, but he's using the the sort of the medium of a sacrament. He's using an outward and visible sign, whether that's water in baptism, bread and wine, um, something like that, to not that the bread or the wine or the water are magic bread or water, but they're used in such a way as has been commanded and and given an example in, in scriptures by Christ to be the means that God chooses to use to communicate grace to his people. And we'll get into, So I guess, no, go ahead.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, so in, in trying to understand it, Mm -hmm. um, is it that, is it grace that is immediate in the sense that like, it's giving you something in that moment, or is it more, um, a grace that extends, our understanding or our heartfelt devotion I guess like what I'm trying to say is like at the moment of baptism for example because Christians are only you know should only be baptized one time um, is something particular and only happening at that instant of your baptism or is there um, you know as you think about your baptism over the life uh, you know over your life as a believer you know when I recall my baptism and when I see my growth um, both in um, you know repenting of sin and um, growing in my Christian life. Like I can see some of the the fruit that was born from that mm. day of bapti- being baptized. Like, does that make sense what I'm trying to say?
1: Yeah, yeah, it definitely makes sense. And I think the answer is sort of yes and yes. Um, it's, you know, like if we, if we take communion, for example, uh, something is happening in that specific moment on a Sunday morning at church, at this point in the service, when I take a bite of the bread or, or a sip of the wine or, or however, however your church does, you know, passes it out or everyone goes up, not super important for this point. But something is happening in that moment that is a work of God, a gracious work of God for us and to us. Um, but that's not to say that, oh, you know. I'm all set for the week. I, you know, put it out of my mind. I took my bite. I took my sip. The value of communion has, has now passed, and I'm I'm done with it. Um, and the same with baptism. There there is something that happens as you are baptized, literally that that the moment of baptism. But also, and and because baptism only happens once, like you said, I would say like just most people live a lot longer. <laughs> Than their baptism, and that is a whole lifetime of recalling back right. to and whether you were baptized as an infant or uh, older, which is something we can we can talk about, uh, you know, later when when it's when we get to it. But um, either way, that's something of looking back to your baptism. You you re- you you are reminded of the grace and the and the promises that that baptism. Was the sign of, um, right? And that is something that that is definitely true throughout life. Um, but I don't think that excludes there being something that happens in that particular moment as well. If that makes sense. Okay.
0: Yeah. So I think I know I cut you off there and asked those questions. So I I want you to um, make sure you finished the definition you were giving and, and some of the clarification before I uh, add another caveat because I think there's something that's important to say. So were you okay? Were you finished with your? Um,
1: yeah, I, I, so, so if, if we're going to boil it down to a single definition, I, I would want to stick with an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. And um, in the 39 Articles of Religion, Article 25, um, which is a title of the sacraments, um, it states that sacraments ordained of Christ be not only badges or tokens of Christian men's profession, Um, but rather they be certain sure witnesses and effectual signs of grace and God's goodwill towards us, by which he doth work invisibly in us and doth not only quicken, but also strengthen and confirm our faith in him. So not Mm. only are sacraments, uh, signs, badges or tokens, so outward signs, uh, sort of like a, a wedding ring is a physical outward sign that by itself doesn't really do anything, but it's a profession that I am a married person. Um, that's right. true of a wedding ring. And that's true of a sacrament. Um, but a sacrament is also an effectual sign of grace. It's the way that God works through us, um, giving us the grace that it is the sign of it's right. the, and
0: I think it's good. No. Yeah. I think it's also important to note that when we're talking about the sacraments, Um, and we'll get into more of this a little bit later, but I think it's important to note that specifically the sacraments of the church are instituted by Christ, meaning that they were in Scripture things that he had commanded, you know, observe these things, um, remember these things, do these things um, because of me or in, you know, in my memory sort of thing. So it's it's instituted by Christ. It's given by Christ. So that's also why the articles say that. Um, Like these are things that, um, they're not just arbitrary, they're not just random, they're not things that developed over the last, you know, 2,000 years, but Christ right. himself was baptized and instituted the Supper. So I think that's also helpful.
1: Yeah, and, and another way of sort of saying what we're saying is that sacraments are material means by which God communicates his spiritual grace to the recipient. So um, uh, Robert Latham, or Letham sorry if he's listening i don't know how to pronounce his name <laughs> <laughs> he's listening that'd be hilarious <laughs> uh but in his systematic theology which came out last year um uh sorry um he says that sacraments are mater- uh, the major point sorry in the sacrament is not what we do but what god does the major point in the sacrament is not what we do, but what God does. It's on page 638 of his, of his systematics. Um, God is the actor in the sacrament, and he's the one who is providing grace through a physical sign, um, a specific physical sign. We can't just do it however we want or do whatever we want and think that God's working through it. Um, but what's really important is that the reason we can be sure that something spiritual is really happening, that we are really receiving a grace through the sacraments is because God is the one doing it. It's not, we're not relying on the church. We're not relying on a priest. We're not relying on um, our own faith to do anything. Those things are all important. Ministers, the church, our faith. Those things are all essential for a sacrament, but none of them are what's causing us, you know, water to become the waters of baptism. None of those are what causes bread and wine, very mundane things, to be the the body and blood of Christ for just as, you know, sort of illustrations of, of what, what I think Lethem's trying to say there.
0: Right. Yeah, that's helpful. And I think, um, if I was going to add a couple points, I think it's important that, Um, I think this is also quoting Latham. He says that uh, throughout history, God reinforces his promises by material signs by which he assures us of the truth of what he has said and done. Underlying this is the first sentence in the Bible where it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God created both matter and spirit and can use matter as a vehicle for transmitting spiritual grace. Um, because if we think about it, you know, all throughout the Old Testament, God used very physical and real and tangible things to communicate, again, a spiritual grace. Or I might use this, the word reality um, because I don't think reality can be as confusing as grace at times. Um, because if we think about like the rainbow, if we think about circumcision, if we think about, um, you know, things like that, mm-hmm. those were tangible, real signs that communicate communicated a far greater reality and uh it's also important to know that they're not just like human rights so like when we that's r-i-t-e-s mm-hmm. um human rights like so when we do uh, the lord's supper when we are baptized they're not just about us it's not just things that we do um but more than that they're preeminently they're mainly um signs for God indicating, indicating again, what he has done or what he will do. So they go beyond the surface appearance and they bring us into direct contact with eternal realities in which the grace of God is powerfully at work. Um, and so like when I, when I'm, when I'm thinking about this, I think, you know, I I alluded to this earlier, but it's helpful to know that we would not say that the sacraments, so we would, we would never say that the Lord's supper or baptism are salvific, meaning we are not saved because we participate in baptism or because we take the Lord's Supper, like in themselves, those things do not give us salvation Uh, because we know that all throughout scripture, that salvation comes by faith and by faith alone, like trusting in what Christ has done. Um, And I know a lot of people, uh, they might point to something that like something that comes up often, especially at Bible colleges is some of the differences between Paul and James, you know, James says that, uh, you know, faith without works is dead. Whereas, like, you know, Paul says, show me, like, basically faith without works. It's it, it, They sort of sometimes, they appear to be at odds. Um, but I think one thing that's really helpful is that in James 2, like 14 through 26, uh, James is arguing repeatedly that without faith, um, or that faith without works doesn't save And so some people take that to be like, well, look at my works. Like, uh, you know, I gave to the poor or I, um, you know, prayed a lot or I read my Bible or I took the Lord's supper. I was baptized. Like, um, don't these things mean anything? And, you know, a lot of times when we read Paul we would be like, no, like our, our works do not save us. We are justified. We are saved by our faith and by our faith alone. So then why does James say that without works, our faith is dead? Um, I think, I think a helpful, um, illustration would be like, so when we say faith and works, uh, let's just say, okay, let's just let, this is a, a real life example. Let's say that there's somebody who is cold and hungry, somebody who like doesn't have any food, somebody who doesn't have any shelter. Um, and so if I just gave them like, Words of love and comfort. So if I just said like, "Oh, stay warm," like I hope you have a, a you know a good day, um, that that doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't really show that it's real or tangible that you or that you care unless you actually do something. um You know, so if someone's cold and hungry, you give them shelter, you give them food, and so kind of in the same way, like when we're talking about faith without works, like if you're just like merely saying I'm a Christian, um, but you don't have any of the lo- life characteristics that like define a christian um maybe that faith isn't genuine so i i i know that was sort of like tangential and not totally related to what we're saying about the sacraments but it's it's important to know that a the sacraments do not save us they don't give us salvation um but at the same time as christians we we do do works there are things that we do things that we participate in that show that our salvation is genuine and i think that's what james is trying to get at um did that make sense i know it was sort of like a long rambling yeah no and it
1: i think um you know i'm not sure if this is an area where where we might have like certain differences but you know definitely different traditions would would differ on a point like this but um i you know it without being without trying to be confusing um, there, I think there is a sense in which we can say, like the uh, 1662 Anglican Catechism says, that uh, baptism and, and Holy Communion are generally necessary to salvation, meaning the normal experience of Christian faith necessarily includes being baptized into Christ and communing with him through the Lord's Supper. But the difference is it's not... I am eternally saved because I do these outward actions. It's these outward actions are the way that I participate in right. Christ, in the salvation that is given to us through faith. And um the I think I oh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, no worries. The the uh the the value of partaking of the sacraments, you know, in the, in their normal course is um is more than just oh these are important reminders they are important reminders uh but like we said they they communicate that inward and spiritual grace they they re- they reveal to us that spiritual reality that uh we can't necessarily touch or see through physical means that we can touch and see and taste um
0: well right but what's, and I think that like
1: I yeah no, so, go ahead. Like, sorry that, I can't. that can't be divorced from faith. What gives, you know, what gives the sacraments their power? It's the word of God. What, right. What's, you know, what, what gives them their value for us? It's our faith that God is working through them. So, so I'm, I'm not right. trying to, to disagree with you at all, because I think everything you said is, is spot on. Um, I just want to like, there, there might be a pendulum swing of like, oh, the sacraments are what save us. Well, no, they're not. So therefore we don't do them. But I think that what, what God reveals to us is somewhere in, in sort of in between where, we, re- we recognize the sacraments in their place as being the means materially that we right. participate in the spiritual realities that God has called us to.
0: Right. I think I, I wrote down here sort of as one of my thoughts um, in preparing for this episode, saying that the sacraments are not essential for salvation because like the thief on the cross, for example, the one who was hanging next to Jesus, was not baptized, did not take the Lord's Supper, yet Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Mm-hmm. So we would from that conversation assume that 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 man is in heaven that one day we will see uh, the thief that hung next to Jesus on the cross. Like I think that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the sacraments are not essential for salvation, but they are essential for the well being of a Christian. Yeah. Um, because if if they weren't, then why would Jesus institute them? Right. Um, because like when we think about the Lord's Supper, when we think about baptizing, like he he he, he even Jesus himself talked about them in a way that wasn't just memorial. Mm-hmm. Because there are tons of things that we do that are memorial, like when we pray, when we read theology books when we read the bible like we're remembering jesus you know we every easter we celebrate um his death and resurrection but jesus never commanded us to observe easter um <laughs> right and so like obviously there's something greater that comes from them and so that i think it's yeah. just a matter of like how how we think about that and, and what they are so maybe that's a good segue into Um, Our next point, um, because we've sort of talked about what is a sacrament. We talked about what the sacraments are. So we talked about baptism. We talked about the Lord's Supper. So maybe we sort of want to touch on, like, why use the language of sacrament versus ordinance? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and I think that um, it's also, like, not to um, get in the way of that, but um, I think it's also worth noting for listeners who, who might be either, um, you know, currently or, or before part of, of Roman Catholic or Orthodox traditions that they might be like, oh, you're forgetting most of the sacraments. Because um, typically in, in basically non-Protestant traditions, there, there are seven sacraments, not just two um, seven, seven, you say, <laughs> seven, and uh, the, the perfect,
0: the number of oh, perfect <laughs> exactly. completion or whatever,
1: um, which would be. Um, uh, this might not be in the right order, but but confirmation, um, ordination, marriage, uh, absolution, or, or uh, confession, um, and the anointing of the sick, um, and those, the difference between. Those and baptism and communion, um, it goes back to what we're ta- what we said about being um, ordained by Christ in Scripture as specific things that are to be followed. Not to say right. that people shouldn't be confirmed or ordained or anointed when they're sick or or married, obviously, <laughs> um, but and, and not even to say that that necessarily those are things that that don't have any sense of grace attached to them maybe they do that's you know kind of a different conversation but it is it is pretty clear that they're they're in different category they're in a different category um right there's something else yeah exactly um and i just wanted to i you know i i feel like it's worth noting um because it also i think helps clarify what makes baptism and communion unique uh because there are, like Easter, in a million things that people do in church uh, there are that are great and valuable, there is still a difference between good, edifying, worshipful, meaningful, you know, grace-filled practices and activities, and what we would want to call a sacrament. Um, right. And... Why would we even want to call anything a sacrament? Um, a- another word that might be might be more familiar to some people would be ordinances. I know I grew up um, hearing about the ordinances of communion and baptism, um, and the you know it's it's not quite just a a you know a synonym, just a different way of saying it. Um, because some people think
0: it is because it's often used interchangeably.
1: Yeah, and I think that. For you know interdenominational conversation, that makes a lot of sense and there's 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 definitely nothing wrong with that um, but so if something is if something is an ordinance, you know, like think about your your local you know the the law that says you can't park on the side of the road <laughs> uh, <laughs> or you get a ticket <laughs> uh, that's an ordinance and and what does that right. mean that's an authority has ordained, has stated that you know, This is what is to be done or what is not to be done, I guess, in the parking case. But, um, there's, there's a sense in which obviously we're saying that baptism and the Eucharist are ordained by Christ. We said that's one of the prerequisites to be, for them to be sacraments. Um, but what we don't mean is that they are only signs or practices that God ordained to be used, um. They are, like I mentioned before, they're sure witnesses. They're effectual. They actually communicate something um, from God to us when people in faith participate in them. Um, and so, you know, I remember hearing this in Cistheo back in at Moody. Um, in, you know, if we think of the incarnation, Christ is sort of, you know, the model of a sacrament. So we have we have heaven and we have earth, meeting together in physical space that we can... God and man in yeah, the in, same Yeah, in the most full, clear way. Um, so that the disciples, the people he healed, the Pharisees, you know, they interacted with God physically because he was incarnate. And heaven and earth meet in a similar way, um, we can say, in in the sacraments where there is something going on where God chooses to act within time and space through a physical thing. Um, and it's not just we dip someone in, in some water because we were told to, because that's the rule, the ordinance, um, because it reminds us of something about our salvation. It certainly does, and we certainly do want to be faithful to the commands... The, the things that God ordains for us to do. Um, but if we if we merely think of them as ordinances, I, th- I think the danger is that we could miss the fact that it's heaven and earth coming together. It, it's God interacting with us who are spiritual beings embodied in physical bodies. He's choosing to interact with us through physical means, and, and I think that right. that's that's a key thing is that it we're not brains on sticks floating around. We're not disembodied. Well, <laughs> maybe yeah, I guess I guess maybe some of <laughs> us are, but um, we're not disembodied spirits, and we're not right. going to be disembodied spirits. I guess that's another no. conversation. But um, the the reason that's significant is God interacts with us in an embodied fashion. Um, right, and you mentioned before everything from the from the rainbow to to circumcision. We've got the tree of life in the garden that shows up again in Revelation. Um, the the flood itself, God is accomplishing something physical right. and spiritual through the physical means of the flood, the burning bush, the pillar of cloud and fire. Like we can go on and on and on of for for whatever reasons that we might, you know want to try and discern, but we probably won't fully grasp. This is how God has chosen throughout salvation history to interact with his people through physical means. Um, if we, if we turn to Genesis, um, God is making Genesis 17. God is making his covenant with Abraham. He's talking about, uh, giving him Isaac and, and, uh, that, you know, through Isaac, Abraham becoming a, a great nation. Um, And he says that, um, oh, great, I had it. This is awkward. Um, But he says that circumcision is going to be the sign of the covenant that God is making with Abraham. There's a physical sign attached to the spiritual grace that God is giving to Abraham that is to be carried on. And on the eighth day, when infants were, were circumcised they that that physical action was bringing forward the covenant to the next generation and um right that wasn't because doing that was magic it was because god was was using it to communicate um his covenant to israel and i think yeah
0: i think it's important to know too that You know, we're talking about again. We're talking about God and man. We're talking about heaven and earth. And as humans, we're frail. We forget. We um, become distracted. And so, like again, circumcision is a great example, or the rainbow, or baptism, or the Lord's Supper. These are examples of like when we when we forget when we uh, you know go through seasons of difficulty. um, These are like you said. These are signs that remind us. They point us to. They give us um, comfort and hope. Um, in the midst of whatever's going on. And I thought, I thought it was helpful to sort of add on to what you're saying that the the difference between the sign and the reality or the sign and the grace, um, because, you know, baptism, the Lord's supper, these are the signs and it, they're communicating a, a, a reality greater, uh, than what is immediately present. It's not just a piece of bread. It's not just a cup of wine, um, But much like, for example, if I was driving to Nashville, my younger brother lives in Nashville. If I was trying to get from where I live in Stoughton, Wisconsin to Nashville, I'm going to follow signs, right? There's going to be a sign that says Nashville this way, you know, St. Louis that way or whatever. But we would never think that that sign is Nashville itself. Or even when we get to Nashville and it says, you know, welcome to the city limits, that sign is not the city. Um, And so almost in the same way, you know, the washing with water in baptism, uh, it portrays, you know, the cleansing from the greater filth of sin. Mm -hmm. So when, when we go in the waters, when we come, you know, we're, we're buried with him in baptism, raised to newness, uh, of life. So that's sort of the imagery of baptism. It sort of portrays, it shows that cleansing from our sin. Um, and same with the bread and the wine, uh, they demonstrate Christ's feeding us and nourishing us, um, you know, bringing us to a spiritual life in him. And that's that, those are just like the most basic ways to explain those things. I know we could go far more in depth on what those things actually mean. Um, But I I think it's important to at least make that point that like they're, they're not, it's not that those things are are magic. They're not mystical. They're not, um, you know, to be used in some sort of even, arbitrary way and they're not merely just m- memorials they're mm-hmm. not just tokens of like you know like when you go to the zoo you can get those little like stamped pennies that right. have like a penguin <laughs> it's not just a like here's a memento from my time at the milwaukee zoo um but you know like so it's not like that's what baptism is here's my memento of becoming a christian right um but it, like like we're saying that there's something greater there's a reality that's being communicated that's more profound then immediately apparent. And I think that that's even expressed in the word itself. And that's something that we didn't touch on yet, but like yeah. in, mm-hmm. in the new Testament, um, when we look at the word, um, you know, for example, so this isn't one of the sacraments, this isn't, you know, the Lord's supper or baptism, but in, in, uh, Ephesians five, when Paul is talking about marriage, he says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying it it re- refers to Christ in the church. So he's talking about a physical thing mm-hmm. that you can see. He's talking about a husband and a wife becoming one flesh. That's something that you can see, but he says this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. So marriage in some way is a physical reality that represents a greater spiritual reality. Um, and and, and just that to... word mystery. Yeah, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going so to, that, that... yeah, I was going to get oh, into gotcha. word. So that word. Wanted...
1: That... I didn't want you to, to, Oh no just no to yeah clarify. so that
0: yeah so that word mystery is mysterion and it's the same word that we use for for sacrament right like that's sort of the etymology or do you want to clarify that further
1: No i mean i mean all I, yeah i mean i don't i'm no greek scholar but um just the the you like when paul says mystery like the the reason that we're bringing it that you bring it up is because of of that, that is where we eventually in English get to
0: to sacrament. Sacrament, right? And so I think that's a really good segue, uh, at least into um, the difference between sacrament and something being sacramental. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's maybe where the distinction between the Church of Rome and um, Protestants. I think that might be part of the different. You know, because we were saying that the the Roman Catholics have seven seven sacraments that they Mm -hmm. hold to, whereas the Protestant Church affirms two. Um, So I think it's going to be helpful to explain the fact that there is a difference between a ordained sacrament that Jesus has instituted and things that can be sacramental. So do you want to touch on that a little bit?
1: Yeah. Um, So I think that we've sort of touched on, you know, the, you know, mysterion, sacrament, like sort of what's going on, this this physical, tangible uh, event or, um, you know, it, uh, event or action or object that is communicating and representing and signifying the deeper um, spiritual realities going on. Um, but also, like we said, there are certain things that are not sacraments they are not ordained by christ for use in in christian worship for the you know the building up of the body um but do in some way point to something beyond themselves is sort of how i'd put it like we can talk about marriage how um this this mystery refers to christ in the church um i don't think that means we necessarily have to call marriage a sacrament
0: um right because not everyone's going to get married i mean there are people who remain single their entire lives Um, it doesn't mean that they're like missing out on something in the christian life right they, it is just a specific,
1: you know, uh, st- you know, uh, uh, transition in life that some that some people go through, and it's it's great, and it speaks to something beyond just themselves, um, and we can also look at, you know, I I thought of I thought of another example how in in Romans one Paul talks about what nature reveals to people to 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 all people. Um, and he says that what that is, is God's invisible attributes. Um, so I am definitely not interested in saying that, um, you know, we should go around saying that nature is a sacrament or <laughs> that, you know, e- even, even more specific, you know, a tree or a sunrise or, you know, fill in the blank, you know, natural phenomenon that you're interested in. Um, but I do think that, there's something to to looking at nature and saying that those things can act in a sacramental way. And what I mean by that is if I look at a sunrise, I can be reminded that God is creator, that he is almighty, that he creates beautiful things, that he, you know, has made the world for our good, you, you know all these truths that that they're in Scripture. I'm not just coming up with them out of nowhere, but Scripture right. also tells us that nature itself testifies to these things and witnesses about these things. Um, and I would just want to sort of—I I feel like that was that was the first example that popped into my head because it's it's something that that's everyone can relate to. I think we've all right. seen nature. And and you know we've all learned about it in school if you know if we're taking like biology in high school or 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 going on a walk in the woods or something we've all you know come into contact with nature and we know that God is the creator um, and we can see how the beauty and the and the, the, the crazy things that nature has to offer if you've ever watched like one of those BBC shows where they're like in the deep ocean filming all these freaky jellyfish and stuff like, like, there's no way to miss the fact that nature is wild and, and clearly points to something beyond itself, whatever we want right. to say about that. Um, but the other thing, too, is not only is it relatable to talk about nature pointing to God, but like I said, in Ro- we're told that that's what happens in Romans one. And I think that this gives us sort of a warrant to think about, you know, natural theology, mm-hmm. if we will. Um, but, but to think more specifically about the ways in which everyday physical activities, uh, interactions, or objects can point beyond themselves. Um,
0: right. It sort of transcends the mundane. I think we become yeah. so distracted by the things that are around us and they become so familiar that they lose their significance or their purpose or their worth, maybe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and, and if we want to even like hone it a little more... Um, you know, think about like a sermon. This is something that, I, I mean, I i want to say every, but I'm sure there's some weird heretic, <laughs> you know, d- offshoot somewhere in the mountains that don't do this. But pretty much, you know, every church service I've ever gone to um, has a sermon as, as somewhere, whether it's a shorter one or a longer one, you know, like there's some kind of what, what we would call a sermon or a homily whatever. Um and the sermon is is the the proclamation of the word of god whether that's a topical sermon that is 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 bringing in different verses to speak to what the bible says about fill in the blank or whether it's exegeting a certain number of of verses, you know, going through a book by book. However, the sermon is like it, it's communicating the word of God and i I think I think it's pretty you know this might be controversial but like to me that seems like it's pretty clear that sermons communicate grace to the body of christ in the sense that um the word is being proclaimed to the body and if we, if we want if we if we have a problem saying that the word of God communicates grace then maybe we I
0: mean faith comes through hearing yeah you know and whether it's through a sermon or reading or a, a preacher on the street
1: right and you know i you know that's assuming people are paying attention that pe- that it's a good sermon in the first place like there's lots and and i don't want to push that that analogy too far because sermon a sermon is not a sacrament but a right. sermon is a outward you know it, it is a communication of something in this case it's it's not like physical in the sense of of like bread is physical but it's you know sound waves and words that that the human speaker is is presenting to people meant to Mid- communicate something about the word of god to the listeners um and god uses that to uh to to, to faith comes by hearing like you said it, he he right. uses sermons to communicate grace um
0: well he uses i think it's i think it's helpful to th- to say that he uses all of the human senses to communicate spiritual reality. Cause whether it's yeah. tasting the bread and wine, whether it's hearing the s- songs of the birds, whether it's mm. seeing the trees or whatever, right. you know, smelling a flower, those our senses are being reoriented um, to their true, and real essence, I think. And I, and sorry to interrupt you here, but I think one, one of the most profound things that I was reading in that, that book that I mentioned in our first episode, Reenchanting humanity. Uh, one of the things that he says in the book is that we are fully human, you know, you and me, Lucas and Jens, we are fully human, but we are not truly human as we were created Ah. to be. And so to like, to, to plumb the depths of that, of that sentence i've been thinking about it a lot lately but like jesus is fully human Mm. but also the only example of what it means to be truly human as we are created intended to be and that like that has massive implications that we could probably spend an entire episode on Mm. um but i think the same is true of the sacraments that we can look at the lord's supper we can look at baptism and we can say that they're fully those things. It's fully bread, it's fully wine, it's fully water, but it's not only or truly that, because it's, again, communicating a more spiritual relationship. And I think one of the things that I failed to mention earlier that I wanted to touch on is the fact that there is a spiritual relationship, obviously, between the outward sign of the sacraments and what it signifies. So there's a relationship between the bread and between what it's signifying, but... That does not mean that the sacrament causes what it signifies. So that's what I was trying to say earlier about causing salvation, <laughs> because just because we participate in the sacraments, it does not mean that we're born again. And the Bible bears witness to that time and time again, where it talks about those who are partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, and they're incurring wrath upon themselves, yep. which would would show us that just because we're eating it just because we get dunked, it does not mean that we're born again. doesn't mean that we're saved. doesn't mean that we're a Christian. And there are thousands of people in every church service across our country and across the world that will take that bread, that will take that juice or wine or whatever and partake. But that does not mean that that person is saved. So I wanted to clarify that from, from earlier that um, they communicate, there's a relationship, but they do not cause what they signify. Yeah,
1: and I think that's really good for a couple of reasons. First of all, that's sort of the whole point of a sacrament, you know, like it's easy to get lost, you know, because we're humans, we the way we we take these things that God gives us and we twist them or we misunderstand them and and you know, that that's totally natural, it, it makes sense, but what you're saying is really important because if if we start saying that the sacraments cause what it is they signify, we've totally lost the whole point of a sacrament. The whole point of a sacrament is God coming to us and doing something to for us uh it's not us doing something it's certainly not some magic bread doing something um (laughs) so we don't want to to lose that and you know i'm brought to as you're talking i'm thinking of first corinthians 10 uh in chapter chapter 10 obviously verse 16 uh, is not the cup of blessing which we bless so you know communion wine a sharing in the blood of christ is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of christ or or a participation in those things. And the point he's making, if we skip down to uh, verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. And he's talking about idolatry in in pagan in pagan temples and stuff. Um, because what, what's happening is that there's a real spiritual uh, reality that is signified by the bread and the wine and is participated in by partaking that. And what that means is that we do that to partake in those things which exist beyond the bread and wine, beyond the bread and cup. Like you're saying, the bread and cup allow us to participate in the, in the uh, body and blood of Christ. They don't create the body and blood of Christ. They don't um, cause us to uh to participate in the body and blood they allow us to um and ultimately what's happening is is a a meal of of faith as we commune with you know the son in the father in the spirit um so i think that that's really helpful to just to, to clarify like the ways that we can misunderstand the sacrament goes in both directions of Right. We, can, we can reduce it to being meaningless or we can expand it to where it totally loses its meaning as well. Um, and what we need to be doing is, is trying to be faithful to, to the word where, where we learn the way that God uses these things to draw us into un- union with himself in a deeper way, right. um, which is real. And that's the error of like being too memorial as you lose that. Um, but it's God and and it's not like roman catholics would say that sacraments don't aren't you know they they believe they confess that god is the one doing these things um but the way that they talk about the sacraments and how they work i think can can lead to confusion over where the source right. of their significance really lies um even if that's accidental I, I think it happens um and and it probably happens you know more or less in different times in history or whatever, but um, I, I think that where we really want to to land is where we would say we believe Scripture points us, which is what we've been talking about: this the right. outward sign that points us to and draws us into the inward reality that is that is greater than and and the true sort of uh,
0: point of of a sacrament, whatever sacrament that is. So I think to sort of maybe uh, wrap, wrap everything up here, um, you know, we in the future will certainly do an entire episode on the Lord's Supper, an entire episode on baptism and maybe exploring, you know, the different viewpoints on those. Like what's the difference between trans, uh, trans substantiation and con, Uh, you know, what is the memorial view? Like we'll probably get into all that. So like we didn't want to um, spend, our entire episode um, focusing in on those things. Cause we wanted to just introduce the idea of, of what a sacrament is and um, why they're important. And I think maybe a good way to close is um, by sharing a little bit of, of an article that I came across this week. So as this always seems to be the case, as I'm like studying something, as I'm thinking about something, For some reason, like all over my Facebook or all over my Twitter, I'm seeing things about that. So like I was scrolling through Twitter and this article from Crossway by a guy named Tim Chester came up. It's called 10 Things You Should Know About the Lord's Supper. So I'm not going to read the entire article. I'm just going to read the 10 things that we should know about the Lord's Supper as a helpful way to close. So number one, we partake of the Lord's Supper as embodied beings. We, we live in bodies. We're real people. We're things that we can touch and see. Um, but there's, again, spiritual component to the physical component. We're not just flesh and, blood, flesh and blood. We're also spiritual. So that was number one. Number two, the Lord's Supper reminds us that we depend on God for sustenance. So at this very moment, we're being sustained by, by Christ. Um, and the Lord's Supper is a reminder of that, that as we eat the bread, as we drink the cup, and as we eat every meal, but especially as we gather as the saints and partake of the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that it is Christ who sustains us, who gives us life, who gives us breath, who gives us everything that we have. Uh, that was number two. Number three, the Lord's Supper can be a model for our everyday suppers. So in our thanksgiving, uh, in the way that we participate in the meal, um, you know, saying grace, uh, being uh, grateful for what we have, um, so the Lord's Supper is a model of that. So it's a, it's a model. It's a, it's a tiny picture of all of life. You know, we, we, we only gather for, for Sunday or for church on Sunday mornings, um, but we have countless meals throughout the week. And so when we take the Lord's Supper, it's a model for how we can even uh, live our everyday meals. Um, so number four, Christ is present in the Lord's Supper through the Spirit. And that's one part that we'll really get into when we have an episode about the Lord's Supper. So I won't really go any deeper there, but Christ is present. It's not just a meal. It's not just little pieces of bread and wine, but Christ is there through the spirit. Number five, the Lord's Supper is a way to commune with Christ. So just like we pray, just like we might read his word, just like we might um, sing songs, uh, we commune um, through the means of grace that is the Lord's Supper with our Savior. Number six, the Lord's Supper is a reminder. So we would say that, in a way, the Lord's Supper is a memorial. It is something that reminds us, but it's not just that. It goes deeper. But it is helpful to say that the Lord's Supper is a reminder because when we take it, we're reminded of his death, right? We're reminded of what he did upon the cross, what he did for us. So when we come together... as the body, as as the saints of the Lord, we're reminded of what he has done for us. And that's important to say. Number seven, the Lord's Supper offers assurance of pardon. So the Lord's Supper gives us confidence. It gives us assurance that Christ did actually accomplish what he accomplished. So as believers, when we're uh, maybe weak in our faith, when we've maybe forgotten what the cross actually means. When we partake of the supper, we're reminded of what he did upon the cross and it assures us that our sins truly have been forgiven that on the cross, Christ took them upon himself and that we bear them no more. Number eight, the Lord's supper invites God to keep his covenant promise. So again, that's sort of like with the rainbow, with the tree of life, with the pillar of cloud and fire or whatever uh, these, these physical realities that are communicating a spiritual reality Um, When we're partaking of the Lord's Supper, it is inviting God to keep his promises to us. And we know that he will. We know that he will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll never go back on what he has promised to us. And so even in taking the Lord's Supper, we have a reminder there of that reality. Uh, Number nine, the Lord's Supper shapes our character. Uh, Formation does take place in more ways than just sermons. You know, you alluded to sermons earlier. Um, And, and, you know, lessons and teaching and podcasts and whatever, these are, these are ways in which we can learn. Um, But as we, as he says, as we participate in the drama enacted in the Lord's Supper week after week in the context of the Christian community, the truths it embodies become instinctive. Uh, They become real and tangible. We, We come to know our savior more. And lastly, the Lord's Supper looks ahead. You know, he said, uh, we read in first Corinthians that we do these things until he comes. So as we partake of the meal now for the past 2000 years, the church has taken the Lord's supper and looking ahead to a, a multitude of things, looking ahead to heaven, looking ahead to our, our full consummation, to our union with Christ, looking ahead to uh, the day in which, you know, sin will be no more, death will be no more, and we will be with him forever in paradise. And so the Lord's supper is in a way is looking ahead to the realities that Christ has already accomplished. But you know, it's that already, not yet, we are already saved, but not yet glorified. And so we're looking ahead. And so, like I said, those were just 10 um, things that are helpful to know about the Lord's supper that I think add some clarification, add some clarity, add some meat to the bones of, of what we've been talking about. So um, unless you have anything else to add, if you want to close this out, yeah,
1: I mean, I would just say, like, obviously, those are specific to the Lord's Supper. But I think that, it, that think you know, thinking through just those sort of, you know, there's, like you said, there's so much more that that can and, and should be said about the Lord's Supper. But thinking through what, you know, in light of what we've been talking about, you know, sort of going, walking through what communion, 10 things about communion, uh, I think it, it gives, you know, we could do something very similar with baptism, and a lot of the points, there'd be some overlap, there'd be a lot of differences, because they are different sacraments that do different things. But the point being, like, we, we don't want this to, to stay in the head, you know, just like for us to abstractly, you know, theologize or whatever. Um, but that everything we're talking about, you know, like, it 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 ought to inform how we practice and experience the sacraments not just what we will want to say about the sacraments so i think of like the, the where he talks about it shaping our character um like uh we shouldn't just believe certain things about the lord's supper be you know even if they're correct or good things um but we ought to live in into that reality. We ought to live out what we believe. Um and that's right. that's true of all the other areas of theology, but we don't want to lose sight because it is such a big topic. It can be confusing. There's lots of different views. We don't want to lose sight of how that's you know not you know that honestly it's probably more true of the sacraments than a lot of other things that we'll end up talking about just because these are the thing the practices that unite all Christians across time and space um, whether they confess the same things about baptism and communion every Christian does baptism and communion <laughs> in some way and there's a reason for that and I think that um, it's super important to just remember like what it means to to take what we want to confess about these things and and, and live into that um, and I think that, right. that, that article is a, is a really I'm glad you shared it it's a really helpful um sort of taste of, of what it means to to do that with communion. Um yeah, but no that yeah, so I I appreciate appreciate you sharing that, everything that we've been talking about. Um I think it's about that time where we're getting ready to close uh with a brief word of prayer. Um so I just wanna I'm reading from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Uh the collect for sunday a collect for resurrection hope uh found in in the the evening the daily evening prayer service um so let's let's pray lord god whose son our savior jesus christ triumphed over the powers of death and prepared for us our place in the new jerusalem grant that we who have this day given thanks for his resurrection may praise you in that city of which he is the light and where he lives and reigns forever and ever amen
0: Amen. That was good. I mean again a reminder of resurrection that's what these things point to. Mm, amen. So
1: so yeah if you'd like cool. if you'd like to connect with us hit us up on Twitter at doxologypodcast You can email us at doxologypodcast at gmail.com with any feedback questions or episode ideas. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and we definitely uh, want to continue this conversation uh, any way we can with anyone who wants to so please feel free to reach out.